Okay, it is uh, good to be here with God's people. I think I noticed while ago that uh, there was some sunshine that came out. See, for all you people that live out of state <laughs> and move from different states, they say, what? If you don't like it, stay around a few minutes and it'll change. <laughs> so... The best is yet to come. Anyway, it's a pleasure to be here, isn't it? We uh, continue on with our uh, study in uh, Luke. We happen to be in Luke 11. Last week we started off with a rather provocative statement that this is a wicked generation. And as you think about that, that's really what he dealt with and told why they're a wicked generation. He actually talks to some people that are of that wicked and evil generation uh, in a group type setting. You know, um, Jesus had problems with the sinners of the uh, nation that he came to really these sinners were the ones that you would normally think of robbers and adulterers and you know you know the bad people the thieves and such but you know actually Jesus big conflicts his greatest conflict was really not those kind of sinners but the sinners who were religious the ones who were leading the nation as far as religion is concerned and he had the biggest trouble from them. That's really where it came from. Um, it's the legalist. It's the religious legalist. When you study uh, the life of Christ, you see that sometimes and very often he deliberately does things to provoke the legalist. To get them to at least thinking as he is going to be able to uh, bring something forth to them that's going to be the opposite of what they are thinking. Now, He could have healed people on any other day of the week. And He did, and He could. And um, when you think about it, when do you see it though in the Gospels the most when He's healing people? On the Sabbath. And that's to provoke them to get angry at Him because He's healing on the Sabbath. And of course, He goes out and proves what uh, their whole idea is completely wrong. Uh, he discreetly violates the Pharisees' rules. Actually, he didn't discreetly do it. He openly did it, didn't he? Um, sometimes when you get the uh, elaborate hand-washing customs that they would do, here we have Jesus takes advantage of that and doesn't even take part of it which everybody was to be doing that. And, of course, he offended them. And then the lawyers, not only the Pharisees, but the lawyers he offended. And he didn't say, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. This nice Jesus that you think would be nice says, woe to you, Pharisees. Woe to you, lawyers. As he confronts the legalism, that they're involved with. It's as sin. It is sin. It's the worst kind of sin, the way that Jesus addresses it. 
Now the church is to be like Christ. The church, when it gets a whiff of legalism, needs to confront that sin because that's what Christ hated the most. Legalism. And so we think, well, are we supposed to pronounce judgments and say woe to you? Well, Jesus was in a position He could do that because He is the judge and He can read minds and He knows what's on the hearts. We are to do as Scripture says as far as our, our speaking is to be seasoned as salt. We are to be kind to people and loving, but yet give them truth. Sometimes it's very hard to speak truth in love. Of course, Jesus always did it, but He got to the truth. And sometimes it would seem to be very uh, upsetting to people, but there was a reason for that. What is legalism then? Um, Here's a definition of it. Legalism is an attempt to gain favor with God or to impress our fellow man by doing certain things or avoiding other things without regard to the condition of our hearts before God. At the root of legalism is the sin of pride. It's about self. And it's really trying to please man or trying to please God by doing things or not doing certain things. That makes sense, doesn't it? See, we cannot please God in and of ourselves, can we? All of our works are as filthy rags. But that is the other religion. There's two religions. One by grace, one by works. God hates the works to please Him. There is no salvation in the good deeds, right? So the Pharisees were doing what most people do and they look at the externals. They don't look at the heart, they don't look at the inside. And that's kind of the principle that we'll be looking at today. It was outward behavior. The only thing is they didn't understand human depravity. Man is depraved. There's nothing there, nothing good that God is pleased with. It exalts human ability. This human depravity does. And we know that that is where man has to start. He has to see that he is a sinner against a holy God. There's nothing good there. And they must see the gospel of God's grace. It's only by His grace that we can be saved. So that's why Jesus clashed with the legalist. That's why He did it so hard with them. It seemed like He gave them no mercy. But you see, what they stood for is totally against the grain of what Christianity, Jesus Christ, God's plan of salvation is all about. Christianity is something that we are so thankful for as He regenerated us. He did all the work. It's by His grace, 100%. See, those people then that were the leaders, the Pharisees, Sadducees, the lawyers, and on and on. See, they didn't see themselves as sinners at all. That's totally against the grain of the Gospel. And Where's the Gospel start? We are sinners. He is a holy God. So what did they do? Well, they kept the law. That actually sounds good, doesn't it? They kept the law. 
But in reality, they didn't really keep the law because they didn't apply it to the heart level. And that's the problem. We uh, look at this story today and we're going to see what the state of Israel was. It was apostate. Apostate Judaism, as we look at it. It shows us the character of Pharisaism. And we want to get beyond that also. We want to go further. We know about that. But this shows how the example of all false religions operate. Anything that does not preach, teach God's grace, shows you how they function, how they operate. Uh, their whole deceptive hypocrisy. We're getting into the element of hypocrisy too when you're dealing with religious legalism. And of course Jesus will be speaking on that in our story today. And of course right on into uh, chapter 12 as He keeps that going on. Religious hypocrites, their unchanged hearts, they're left right where they're at. And of course you can look at it, see it in the evangelical churches today. Definitely see it in the Roman Catholic Church. In the Roman Church, it is a matter of works. I'm not saying something that they would deny. It's your works plus Jesus. Anything that's added to Jesus, we know, is wrong. It must be addressed and must be confronted. Not only uh, Roman Catholicism, you can think of the Greek Orthodox, you can think of Anglo-Catholicism, Episcopalianism. They all would be saying, yes, it is works that get you to heaven, along with Christ. But you can go further outside of Christianity and you can see the religious legalism continues on in all the cults, all the isms and schisms, the Hindus, the Muslims. It's all for a show. That's really what it is. It is absolutely worthless without Christ. It is a show that they're putting on so that they can look good and they're counting on that to get to heaven. And that's the heart of the matter. That's why Jesus addressed it so fiercely throughout the Gospels. And of course, we come across it quite frequently. So I I just uh, pound that into our our minds too, realizing that this is one of the worst sins there is because it is so um, hidden. It is deceptive. So let's turn to Scripture. Let's uh, grab our Bibles and... Do one of our favorite things. Read God's Word. We are in Luke 11, starting at verse 37. We're actually going to go to the end of the chapter today. Lord willing. We're going to try. Now, when he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him. And he went in, reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and of platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? 
But give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you pay the tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others also. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. One of the lawyers said to him and replied, Teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. But he said, Woe to you, lawyers, as well. For you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. So you are witnesses and approve the deeds of your fathers because it was they who killed them and you build their tombs. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send to them prophets and apostles and some of them they will kill and some they will persecute so that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house of God. Yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter, and you hindered those who were entering. When he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. Let's pray. Father, this is a very weighty text as we look at this. And we realize that, Lord, you really take false religion seriously to the point of getting it all the way to what will happen to the ones who believe and trust in anything but Christ, they're all judged. It's woe to them. Lord, thank You for saving us and bringing us out of the bondage of that sin. We have nothing to brag about, but it was all You who did that. It was all by Your sovereign grace. You are a tremendous God. Thank You for bringing us to this point. And as we look at Your Word, help us understand further what the words of Christ meant here. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Start at verse 37. And uh, we notice there is a Pharisee comes up to Jesus and asks him to 
come to lunch. He invites him to come to lunch. After he's been in front of this tremendous crowd, he has made instructions, he's taught, and he's warned about hypocrisy. And Of course, a lot of that was aimed at these very same people. And one of them comes up to him. And it's after he has um, preached, after he is healed and does what he always does, and he gets invited to a meal. And it could be that the whole entourage that's with Jesus as far as the uh, apostles are invited to, it doesn't say, we don't know. So I won't read into it, but often, most of the time, probably whenever he went to places like that, they did too. And there are uh, other Pharisees and probably law- and lawyers, obviously, and scribes that are at this meal too. But I don't really think this Pharisee was really trying to set him up. I think there is a point right here. Most of the time they did, but I think he has a true interest in Jesus. I mean, he has done some amazing things. Of course, what did the Pharisees say whenever he did amazing things, like cast out demons? He is of Beelzebub. He is of Satan. Might as well like say that he is Satan. He does this by the power of Satan. And of course, Jesus then... Uh, started pounding on their unbelief and proving that what he did is from God. So the Pharisee invites Jesus to lunch, kind of probably wants to know a little bit more what Jesus has to say. He's heard a lot about him, so there he is. He uh, is at the table here. Jesus accepts. Uh, matter of fact, he accepts invitations. If you've ever noticed, have you ever seen him turn down an invitation with anybody? I don't think I ever did. I think, uh, you know, you see him going to people's uh, invitations for uh, a meal. Uh, and, of course, we would never turn down a meal, would we? <laughs> uh, of course, there's something much more than this meal that's involved. And uh, he has something more in mind because he knows every time that he gets with a crowd, he gets an opportunity to teach. Uh, he gets an opportunity to uh, tell what the gospel is about and what it's not. And knowing this man is a Pharisee, there will probably be an opportunity to correct some things that he's been thinking. Now what happens to that man's heart, we don't know. But we do see this occasion. Now, uh, I think this would apply to all of us. If we get an opportunity to share the gospel, would you turn it down? Uh, They may not be asking for the gospel, but they're being nice and they might invite you over. Hey, how do you look at it? Hey, this is an opportunity. I know that there are going to be some people there that hate Christ, they hate God, but they're inviting me in uh, using wisdom. You might be able to use this to share the truth, right? Isn't that really what we're all about in anybody we deal with, whether it be with family, whether it be with friends, whether it be even with Christians. We love to talk about the Lord. How about unbelievers? Well, we should be loving to talk about the Lord. The opportunity to share this gospel, right? We look for that kind of thing. And it might be people who are close to us that are lost. Like I say, family, friends, neighbors, whatever it is. And they give you an opportunity to, to actually voice this truth that you have. And you go, oh wow, okay, here it is. Lord, give me the words to say, right? I can't wait. This is what I want. We, we should be desiring that constantly. So, this deal about the uh, 
lunch. People used to say, let's do lunch. This guy says, what's the lunch? Well, there are really two kind of main meals that they would have. This lunch is kind of a brunch kind of thing. It's after you've had a little bit of a short few hours of work, you would take a break and have a time that you would have this uh, kind of dinner, this lunch. It was a meal after a few hours of of uh, work. That's a meal that would take some time. You'll notice that they're reclining at the table. It's not that they eat a bite real quick, standing up, and boom, they go right back to work. Uh, they're reclining there. And, and, and uh, this is not just a snack. And it's not just a little tea time here. It's, it's a, a lunch. So, what Jesus does is that He deliberately provokes a confront, confrontation with the legalist here. And he doesn't wash his hands. It's a ceremonial washing. And when the Pharisees saw it, he was, catch this word here, surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. You know, this man's speaking his words of wisdom. He, he knows Judaism. They're thinking, you know, this man is as he's looking at Jesus and he's surprised. That ought to tell us right there that this man actually might have some good intentions here. I don't know what he's thinking or what's in his heart, but he wanted Jesus to be there, and, but he's surprised that Jesus is not doing that. And most of the Pharisees that would have known Jesus would not have been surprised, would they? This man is surprised. So it's kind of interesting to, to, to think about that. And um, so it's really not what Jesus does here. It's what He doesn't do. He doesn't do it, and He doesn't do it on purpose. Now to keep from people being upset, you would have thought, well, Jesus, well, just go ahead and do that. It's no big deal, you know, as He washes His hands in a ceremonial way. But yes, it is a big deal because He knows this is one of their many, many hang-ups. And He might as well use this one to start off with. I mean, it goes on and on with all of their ridiculous ceremonies that they do. This ceremony is not about cleanliness. It's not about getting your hands clean so you can eat food. Jesus didn't eat with dirty hands. That's not the idea here, but it's ceremonial. And He wants to expose the sin right there. He's willing, Jesus is, to insult this man at the very outset of this event. Now these are symbols that people do. False religion always has symbols. Much into symbolism. Now this hand washing, it's a man-made thing. Where in the world in Scripture is this? Look all you want, you won't find it. It's not there. You think, well it must be. These guys are doing it. Where did it come from? It came from them. Uh, the word there, uh, dealing with the wash, is, is dealing with baptis. It, and of course, that sounds like baptism, doesn't it? Which means to immerse. Uh, here, it's symbolizing their holiness, uh, how good they are. Uh, it should be a desire to be clean from defilement. And that's what they're showing here. Now, what they would do, and the Mishnah, which was their writings, would say, here's how you do this thing. You get your, you take what would be equivalent to about an egg 
shell and a half. Now, feature that, right? Of water. That's about how much water they would use and they would hold their hands up and they'd go through this ridiculous ceremony and they would get the water to come down their fingertips and would come on down their hands and then they would wash their hands. And uh, I think I have seen that in uh, the, the Roman church and in other uh, religions where they you know, make sure that people see this washing, the cleansing. and They are made free of, of the defilement and so, quite a symbolism of bathing and cleansing. There's nothing about this in the Old Testament at all. There's a, it's a symbol of purity. They're parading their purity. Look how holy they are. As they would wear, maybe at that time, maybe white clothes and robes. You see it in Eastern Hinduism. You see some of those Maharatis. Or, what, is, that, is that a car? I don't know. <laughs> and sitting back there with the flowers all surrounding him. And he has words of wisdom and those kind of things. Oh, how pure they are. And the Pharisee is surprised that Jesus is not doing this thing. You know, they would go through it. I guess maybe some of them would go through it two or three times to show a real cleansing, you know. Jesus, in 39, actually, verse 39, confronts the Pharisees with with the fact that, uh, okay, here's an illustration here. You have cups. You have platters. What do you do with those? Well, I would hope that those... And that's where he's sitting at the table. They have the cups and the platters. They have the plates there, right? And you're taking for granted that those have been cleansed already. You know, of course the outside says you guys wash that. What would happen if you didn't wash the inside though of that dish where the food goes, Right? And he says, well, you do both, don't you? You do the outside and the inside on them, but you don't do it to your hearts. So 39, the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup, don't you, and of the platter, but inside of you, you're full of robbery and wickedness. You you are the, the plates and the cups. And all you do is clean the outside. You do the things that people can see. But what about the inside? That's what we keep impressing all the way through here, the outward versus the inward. I think it's quite an appropriate illustration as he's at this meal. Anybody who is decent, uh, as far as a host is concerned, make sure that they clean the inside and the outside. But they just have these kind of laws that they do. Have these ceremonial things that have nothing to do with Scripture. Um... There would be elaborate rituals for the washing. and Of course, they'd cleanse their dishes and, and the utensils, and there would be elaborate washings of that. Now, there is a basis of cleaning your plates in Leviticus. <clears throat> doesn't really get down to all the details that they did. If you turn to Leviticus 15.12, Leviticus 15.12, This is out of the law. This is one of the scriptures that they would use for all of this. However, an earthenware vessel which the person with the discharge touches shall be broken. And every wooden vessel shall be rinsed in water. So if you have a clay pot vessel and it's been 
contaminated by somebody who had a discharge, you're to just get rid of it. We're talking about cleanliness. And really, these are teachings that ultimately get to the, the cleansing of the heart. Obviously, it's good to use health manners, aren't there? And if something's dirty, either clean it out. If it's wooden, clean that. Rinse it out in water. It makes sense. Sometimes the pagans didn't do any of those kind of things. So when you get the uh, book of Leviticus, which is the law, you get a lot of things that are ceremonial and a lot of things that are just common sense that uh, some of the pagans didn't even practice cleanliness. And so that was a good thing. So both of those things are there. The ceremonial really are representing what ultimately is in the heart. What he's saying is that all people are dirty. They're sinful. They need to be cleansed. And they had these pictures as they did these ceremonial things. And that's why we don't have a ceremonial law today. The law is still here. But those ceremonial practices they did, I'm glad we are freed from those. And we just get to just do normal things sometimes. But it's because of the person of Christ who has fulfilled the whole law. So uh, they went far beyond what God intended. It, uh, he confronts a main issue here, and it's really religion. Apart from God, is always trying to fix the outer man. You know, things that look good to other people. And so people fix that up. And all that is is hypocrisy. And that word actually is hypocrites. And actors were considered to be hypocrites. They would put on the mask. If you've seen those masks of actors, and they'd be on a, like a stick. And there would be like a face that would put up. And that they would play a part that wasn't them. They would play another person. Hypocrisy is being one person and then acting another. They uh, really uh, would be people that are lost and need Christ, but they put on the mask of religion and they look like they're okay. There's been a change, but they're really not. So fixing that outer man, I'll improve myself by quitting this and quitting that. Doing this, doing that. That'll make me better. Well, those things can be good. There could be things that really is not good for you or your body. And where there are clear commandments in Scripture, if you're doing it, and in the Older New Testament says, stop doing that. Well, stop doing it. How can you do it? Through the power of God's Spirit who lives in you, right? But there are other things that aren't necessarily in Scripture but if those things hurt you, you know, if they hurt your health, just things like that, those kind of matters, then it would be a wise thing to do of saying, maybe I need to look at this in a different way. You know, maybe I need to be cleansed a, a little more on this. But uh, it's relying on Christ to get you through that. Um, the Pharisees were greedy. They were wicked. And so Jesus compares the outside of a bowl and then eating out of it, even though the inside is filthy. They wouldn't do that, but that's really what He's saying. The inside of that bowl is filthy. Here the bowl 
Right? So then, he says something that's rather uh, astounding here. Verse 40. You foolish ones. Now, here it is. He's got a whole room full of these legalists and he comes out and says, you foolish ones. And you almost have to ask, what? Why is Jesus saying this? This is pretty rude. <laughs> he's invited in here. Next thing you know, he's attacking everything that they believe in. Yeah. There's a reason. Fools. He could say that. I wouldn't advise using that the way that he used it. Because remember who he is. But at the same time, you might be thinking that. But remember, use wisdom. Uh, we want to use. Uh, we want to have our our uh, speech salty, and in the the scriptural salty, not like the uh, the sailors' <laughs> salty language. It it actually is something that is used with wisdom and purifying. Something that will. Uh, maybe make people have attention to and think about if you start attacking with those words they can't hear anything else right so anyway you know what the word there for fools is there are you foolish ones fascinating afronais afronais and the idea there is in the Greek the letter a or would you know we would think of that as being a it, it's a negative term. No. Phronais. Phronais is the thinking. It's the mind. What's he saying? No mind. No thinking. That's a kind of uh, the literal meaning of that. Uh, use simpletons. It's very upfront. Now wait a minute. I thought in Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount, might be verse 22, he said, don't call anybody a fool. And that's absolutely correct. That's right, right? But unless, what if they are? What is a fool? Well, there is a truth rather than some coarse kind of phrase here. Fools, simpletons. It's a word to, uh, to describe the people who are destitute of reasoning. We can put it that way. Destitute of thinking, of thought. Most of all, destitute of truth. They think shallowly. They think superficially. And so we get to verse 41, and there is probably a controversy on this verse of what it means. But give that which is within as charity and then all things are clean for you. Uh, like I say, it's debated here. I think I give you a general meaning. We can move on. It says, basically, I think, if we deal with our hearts before God first, then everything that flows outwardly then is clean. If we come and get our hearts right with the Lord, if we come confessing sin, and of course there's always forgiveness. First John one nine says, if we do that, then everything that flows out now is is clean, as he would say in forty one. J. C. Ryle can give us a little help here. Let's borrow from him. He says, Give first the offering of the inward man. Offer God your heart. 
Is that helpful there? That's what we do first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added, right? Take everything, whatever it is you're dealing with, say, oh man, I'm having a real tough time. Stop right there. Go right to the Lord. Say, Lord, what is what is your will, Lord? He says, here it's it's clear. Go to the scriptures and see what that says. You know, this is the will of God. What's the will of God? That we'd be saved. What's the will of God? That we'd be sanctified. That we'd be saying thanks. That we would be even suffering. You see, all of those are this is the will of God. And you see it throughout the New Testament. Paul brings that forth. If you're doing those things, if you go to the Lord, seek ye first the kingdom of God. God, whatever it is, I don't care what it is, that's what I want to do. He said, I still am not getting an answer. Just keep doing what you know to be right. And He leads you that way. He starts giving you the desires of your heart. Say, I thought that was my desire. Well, if you're following the Spirit of God, whose desire really is it? It's His desire. If it's lining up with God's Word, then that's what we do. Because that's what I really rejoice in doing. So the matter of the heart. Okay, now let's get to point one. Boy, that's the, that was the introduction to that. I promise, I think it'll go a lot quicker now. The reason we did that is because that if you get that point, what we just addressed, we don't need any of the other points. But Jesus made them, so let's go to them. Okay. They are woes. They're woes to the Pharisees. And then he turns around and looks at the lawyers and gives them three more woes. So here we go. First one is woe to you. They're all woe to you. And then I have uh, something after that. Legalism majors on minors. Do you catch that? Legalism really gets into the things that really are secondary or not even should even be there. But let's say they're secondary, okay? And then the other one is legalism minors on the majors. What is the real truth behind it? In this case, it's the heart issue. But they minor on that. But they major on tithing spices or washing their hands in a ceremonial way. <laughs> Can you just see that? Oh, makes me sick. Modern day legalists, that's what they do and, and that's what they've always done. They, and they, they, they put their attention on petty issues. It can happen even in families. Families can be legalists and they can make outrageous rules for the kids sometimes that are really a burdens. Now, I'm not saying that to uh, say, hey, just let the kids run wild. You, you know, we're not saying that at all. But sometimes there, there can be all sorts of codes made up that aren't necessary. And we've seen that. And of course, most of the time, that's not the problem. It's the other, other way where parents don't pay attention to the kids. They just let them run off and just do whatever they want, right? There's a balance there. We know that. But there, you know, dress codes wherever you go. There might be dress codes, and there can be proper times where there's dress codes. Sometimes there's not necessarily a dress code, but we could put a dress code on us and say, "You have to wear such and such and such. You have to wear knickers, and and uh, you know, knickerbockers." And what is that? 
So everybody does that, or, or you have to wear kilts, Scottish kilts. All men should wear those. And that's uh, ridiculous, unless it happens to be some kind of a parade where they're you know, doing that kind of thing. But uh, what the legalists do is they shun people because of how they look or what, you know, what they're about, maybe their character they think is about, but yet they tolerate serious sins, whether it be something like gossip or greed or pride. Jerry Bridges wrote that book. You ladies did a study on it. Um, and what kind of sins was it called? Respectable sins. The sins that people don't see. And they can tolerate sins that people don't see. It's the sins outwardly that they're really wondering and, and worrying about. So he says, woe, what is that? That's a pronouncement of judgment. That is such to be taken very seriously. When Jesus says, woe, you go, woe. <laughs> Pharisees were meticulous about giving a tenth. You pay the tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb and yet disregard justice and the love of God. These are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. He said, I don't, I'm not against tithing. You can go at Scripture and see uh, where it talks about tithing. In this sense right here, it's about spices They were meticulous about it, all the way down to the last little seed. Can you imagine counting all those? That's a burden. I've got to get a tenth of this. Oh, I've got about uh, 10,000 seeds here, I think. I'm not sure how many there are. Let's go. One, two, three. Oh, man. Can you imagine that? That's what they did. Um, Rue there. You go, well, what's a rue? I don't even know. I plant stuff. I don't know if I've ever planted a rue. But it's a strong-scented herb. Herb. What are they? These are just like spices and herbs. Uh, Is Jesus saying, hey, we shouldn't tithe? And we don't even use that word in New Testament. We uh, give, we give, we're to give generously, and you see all throughout the New Testament, we give joyously in that sense, but there is not uh, a legal law that says you have to tithe. Matter of fact, he would say if you got a chance, give more than 10%. Some people can't give ten percent. So what does he say? Give whatever you you know what you can, what your heart, where you feel good about. You know, and if you take it to the Lord, okay. Enough of the tithing. But look in Leviticus twenty-seven thirty. Again, this is what they did. They see they would use the law and misinterpret it, and then make hundreds of laws, over six hundred of them, to define what that really meant. <clears throat> How burdensome. 27, verse 30. Thus, all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. What's this? Well, this is a general tithe that's given to the Levites. You know, the the priestly family. That's how they got their food. That's how they lived it was off of the people as they gave uh, a tithe. They didn't go around counting every seed and every plant and such they did, but they did give the, a tithe as much as it can be or what it was to the Levitical uh, people of the day. 
So what do the Pharisees do? Well, they say, here's what this means. And look what, you know, I mean, they are meticulous down to the very nth degree. And Jesus talks about, okay, we have weightier issues than that issue of tithing. He, he condemns them here for neglecting the weighty part of the law. What is it? Well, it's love of God. It's justice and the love of God. Love and justice is what the law was all about. That was the focus. These, the lawyers, what did they do? They studied the law. They interpreted the law. The, they, they missed the whole point of what the law was about. To ignore love and justice was to ignore that which was at the very heart of the law. So we go to Matthew 22, verse 37. He just uh, has another conflict going on here. And when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, what do the Sadducees believe? Or what do they not believe? Do they believe in it? They don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in the supernatural. They don't believe in Christ. So the Pharisees heard this and they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, teacher. Which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Every ounce of your being is to love God. Have we done that today? We'd like to say so. We love God. With every ounce of us? Probably not. But the thing is, He has put it into our heart to love Him and we desire to do that, don't we? This is the great and foremost commandment to love God. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What did the Jewish leaders do? They oppressed the people. They did it all throughout their history. They didn't give them justice. Love God, love your neighbor. Sums up the whole law, doesn't it? And there you have, these people are trying to follow the law and then they make their own law. Verse 40, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Everything that's been given, it depends on loving God, loving your neighbor. Now we move to the second one. Verse 43, woe to you. Second woe. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. It's going to go quicker here. They love to have people take notice. They wanted to see that people saw them as important. That they're really something. They want to be addressed as Reverend Dr. So-and-so. Head held up high. See, that's pride. We take that right on into the evangelical realm of our day, don't we? Pride is at the root of it. They were focused on their own glory. They wanted people to make them, you know, they would be underneath them and make them look up at them and that they were something. Well, that's what happened. But Christianity says here's what's at the heart of Christianity. It's humility and not pride. 
Boy, that goes against the world's thinking, doesn't it? The world is about pride. Putting yourself up as much as you can. Whether it be at work, whether it be in your neighborhood. you know, It's always trying to make yourself look better. Make people think you're something. And there it is. It's dressing the, the heart again, isn't it? People want to see themselves as a notch above other people. Um, a righteous life that's puffed up with pride. Look in James chapter 4, verse 6, and it's actually quoting out of Proverbs 3.34. James 4, verse 6. But He gives a greater grace. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Was God opposed to these prideful Pharisees and lawyers? Yes, He's opposed. He is against them. But He gives grace to the humble. And when Christ came the first time, He rode on a donkey. He was humble and gentle, wasn't He? But yet strong and powerful, the King. Self-glory is what they had. 1 Peter 5.5 says really the same thing. Um, probably heard it, read it many times. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders and all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, right out of Proverbs, but gives grace to the humble. That's how a Christian lives. That's how we treat others. We treat ourselves to be humble and not over somebody. How often do we try to be over somebody though? That's the idea. Um, We are not to compare ourselves with others. Really, we're to compare ourselves with God. When we see His holiness, we realize that Lord, there is no good thing that dwells in me except the Holy Spirit. Christ in me, right? He convicted them of their great need. They needed to be looking to the cross for mercy. That's what people need to do is look at the cross for mercy. But... You know, the legalists don't like the message of the cross. The liberals don't like the message of the cross. We can have legalists, we can also have liberals who really don't believe in anything. There again, they're against the cross. The fourth one, it's the third woe. Fourth point. Verse 44, Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of what's going on there. Concealed tombs. Jesus compares the Pharisees to concealed tombs. Hidden tombs. They're like you can't see them. If a Jew came into contact with a tomb of a dead body, they would be unclean for seven days which means they would miss the Sabbath worship. They would be ceremonial unclean. So Jesus is hitting right there with all the ceremonies and says, you yourselves, you're, you're concealed. What's He saying? He says, 
what you're doing is so deceptive that people are stumbling over you. They're walking over it. They don't know that you are contaminating them. New believers can be taken on by legalists and all of a sudden they become legalists and whatever that may be. Whether it be music, a lot of people get stumbled up on music or whether it be what version of the Bible that you use. You have to use King James and those kind of issues. It contaminates unsuspecting people. Young believers can be mistakenly taught. They do certain things not new to, uh, to others. Then that's how they'll be holy and pleasing to God. That is just as bad as what these Pharisees were doing. That's exactly what they were doing. Let's go to our fourth woe. Now we change to the lawyers and we're going to move on real quickly because of the lawyers. One of the lawyers said to him in reply, Teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. You're saying it to the Pharisee, you're doing it to us. Jesus says, Oh, I, I am sorry. Would you forgive me? No. No. <laughs> but he said, What? Whoa. To you lawyers as well, exclamation point. For you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Easy to understand here. <clears throat> he's not only indicting the Pharisees, he's now indicting the lawyers there, and, and he gives these three more woes, and he says, What you do is you take the commands of Scripture and you multiply them into hundreds of minute adaptations to them and you make it harder on the people. They themselves would practice certain things. There were things that they didn't... They made up a rule that's not in Scripture that on the Sabbath day you couldn't walk over a thousand yards. Then a lot of people aren't going to get to temple, are they? How they did that? So, if, but if you lived around Jerusalem, of course, you had synagogues and such too outside of there. Well, what would you do? Well, uh, what they did was see uh, a lawyer. What will he do? Well, he he uses loopholes, <laughs> and so therefore they said, okay, if you can take uh, a thousand yard, let's say, uh, a rope or. Um, Whatever it is, some kind of string you tie it across the where the end of the street is, then that counts as my home there, and then I get a thousand yards after that. So your street could be two or three thousand yards, but that doesn't count to me as a being a Pharisee. I can go another thousand yards after that. See what they just did? That's what they believe. That's some of the things that they did to get good lawyers, huh? <laughs> uh, Burdens on people. Biblical holiness frees people from the burdens, doesn't it? The beauty of God's holiness. Aren't you glad we're not bound by men's laws such as ridiculous things like that? First John 5.3 says, This is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. We go to the fifth woe. Woe to you, 
prophets. Verse 47 through 51. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. We had read this earlier just to make it a little shorter. Um, what they did is there were the prophets in the Old Testament, and you know that a lot of them got killed by the religious leaders, by the kings, right? They were killed. And they spoke for God. Spoke nothing but truth. Well, now you have these Pharisees building these monuments up just outside of Jerusalem there, outside outside the wall. These monuments to those prophets. Now that's interesting. And Jesus is saying, you are the sons of that generation back in the Old Testament. You're the same thing as they are. There's no different. And here you are building up these monuments to feign some kind of honor. Made them look like they were giving honor to the prophets of old. That's amazing. They were prophet killers. Now you see, they're going to kill the prophet, aren't they? They are the ones who are going to hand him over. Get him killed. They want him killed. They're trying to come up with ways to kill him. The prophet. And then after that, the apostles. <clears throat> Many of them are killed. Persecuted. Martyred. You see, these guys didn't repent of their sins just like the killers of the prophets in the Old Testament. They're the same people. They just continue it on. They finish the job. As that generation did it. And he says, you know what? From the time of Abel to the time of Zechariah, these are righteous men. Stood up for the righteousness of God. says, it's going to be charged against this generation. You're held responsible for even those. Because you are the same generation generated from that wicked generation. Remember last week? You're wicked. You're of a wicked generation. Boy, he's getting down to the detail now. He's getting down to the nitty-gritty of the things that they were doing and they thought it was great. They rejected God's revealed wisdom about their sin. That is the problem. That's where we get it up to the time of Christ because they were rejecting His wisdom. They rejected the miracle that they just saw. That miracle of casting out the demon of the man who could not speak and all of a sudden he's speaking. And they couldn't give glory to God. But they feigned some kind of glory and honor to those prophets which really... They did not obey those prophets either, did they? They didn't go by what the prophets and the law said, what it really was about. From Abel to Zechariah, and Zechariah, he's the the last or that last prophet or the last book of the um, the Old Testament. The Hebrew Bible was first, Second Chronicles, chapter twenty four. Verses 20 through 25, and the point is there. I don't have time to go through that. I'm going to check it out, though. You'll find about the Zechariah, and he's killed because he actually gave truth to them. And, of course, he gives a condemnation, and they didn't like it, so what did they do? They killed him. Let's go to there. Okay, and, and we're just about finished. With this. We're right at the last part, folks. Second Chronicles. 
uh, and you'll see that this is the same message that goes on and on through the Bible. Second Chronicles 24. 20 through 25, the Spirit of God came on Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus God has said, Okay, here's God's word, right? And we want to hold to God's word, do we not? Isn't that what we live for? Here we go. Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord that do not prosper? Why do you transgress the commandments of God? Is it really Jesus saying that same thing? Because you have forsaken the Lord. He has also forsaken you. Woe to you Pharisees, scribes, lawyers, hypocrites. Matthew 23, you get a whole host of woes, even more than what we're looking at today. He's murdered. So they conspired against Him, and at the command of the king, they stoned Him to death in the court of the house of the Lord. They stoned him for speaking God's word. God told him to say this because you have forsaken the Lord. You're not obeying Him. Wow. You know what? These Pharisees and the lawyers, they were presently rejecting the teaching of Jesus, which was consistent with the teaching of the prophets and it's going to be consistent with the teachings that the apostles that will continue to go... And then the rest of the church, through all of church history, up and even to today. And if people reject the Word of God that is spoken by the preachers and the teachers and rejected when believers give out the Gospel to the lost, these people finally have to do something with Jesus. And what did they do? They put Him to death to fulfill what was said. Body. And so, says in verse 52, Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter, and you hindered those who were entering. Oh, that's, that's the sin of sins. To hinder people from getting truth when you know what you're doing. You know what? It's about personal knowledge of God. What is this? What is this where he says the key of knowledge? Knowledge. This is knowledge. This is eternal life that you may know him. John 17, 3. Jesus prays in that great high priestly prayer. This is what life is about, folks. <clears throat> that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. Did you catch that? That is what who the Father gave to the Son. That's His His chosen ones from before the foundation of the world. All that were given to the Son by the Father, He gives eternal life. And here it is. What is eternal life? That they may know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom You have sent. To know God. To know Christ. They did not know God. They did not know Christ who He was, so therefore they attributed His works to Satan. Personal knowledge of God. That's what we are 
about. The very last one, 53 and 54, is the response. When he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting him against him to catch him in something he might say. The response is unbelief. It is hostile. It's hatred. They'd already demonstrated unbelief and now they show the reaction and what unbelief is. They hate the gospel. They hate truth. They're hostile to it. They'll do anything, say anything because it has convicted them. They don't want it. They deny it. And then what is our response to this gospel? What's our response? One thing is for certain. The response is never neutral. It's one way or the other. And as Jesus has already said in, uh, previously in this same setting, either you're for Christ or you're against Him. Either you believe His Word and you do it, or you don't. And so Jesus has a rather harsh way to deliver a message to a group of people that didn't want Him anyway. And they wanted to kill Him at that point right there, as his own people in Nazareth wanted to push him off a cliff there in town as he disappeared. Again, he gets away, but he's very close to the time of the cross now. Let's pray. Lord, thank You. Thank You for Your Word, Your truth. It is very humbling indeed. Thank You for breaking us of our own pride breaking us to all the way down to the ground where we see that we didn't do anything to gain Your favor because we can. It's all Your grace, Your mercy. We are sinners and we beg and plead for that. And we know, Lord, that as You save us, we are Yours forever. Thank You that we have this message and may it help us become more reticent of all the lost people around us that need to know this so that they would truly trust in Christ. We thank You for this day and the rest of the day that we have as we just fellowship and partake together of all the things You've blessed us with. May this be our blessing as we get ready to um, partake of uh, all the things that people have brought and taken time to to buy and to put together as as a meal. And we thank You for that, Lord. Thank You for this food. We give You all the glory for it. And may we have a very enjoyable day in You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. I want to tell you that everybody here is welcome to eat. And you might say, well, I didn't bring anything. Don't worry about it. There's food back there. Is there food back there, Carolyn? There's There's some food back there. Food for all of us, and uh, uh, it will be ready very shortly, so we do as we always do. We'll move some chairs around, get some tables out, and we'll be eating out in here, and in there there's a big table and other places. So,
Because Venus texted, and then Nandor texted also. Yeah, I was going to answer. I said I'd be here. Good. I meant it, you know. I just, you know, last Sunday, like two Sundays ago, I mean.
high school years. Okay. And that was probably pretty good because that is subjects that uh, my wife Wade was able to do with. Yeah, I have a better reading than teacher. So I kind of like, you guys almost know the kids that were there. Yeah. Actually, it's been recorded. So I don't So, uh, you gotta tell me this ranch. This so, it's in Eugene, Missouri, so that's why I'm it's really good. It's right off the Eugene. Yeah, they're like. They're right off the 54. I said the blessing already. Go for it. It's right off the 54. You see the mark. Right. On the right, yeah, you're yeah, south. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what you're talking about now. Yeah. Just before the uh, gas station and subway there, it's like about a mile north of that. On the right hand side. So then you got to talk with her then. Yeah. She definitely knows her question. What? What? Yeah, they used to be. But you guys did all the horse shows anywhere that was within uh, driving distance. Oh, uh, yeah. So I went to Iowa with them. They're all waiting. I'm glad you're He's a worker. He just wants to work. He raises, he raises his own pigs. We have five acres. Feeds so, I mean, sells, does all that himself. So, pays for everything. We have cows that we. He chops wood for me all the time, mows grass for me all the time. Some of them say. Five acres and too many animals. I don't know that's soon or not. She can't say. Yeah. yeah.
If I get into the mic a little bit better, it probably work better. Won't it? Just like with singing, like anything. So I don't know. Maybe we need to get you one of those to put on your clipboard. Thank you. Uh, yeah. 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 Y
I had to grab my phone to see an Ashley text me.
very comfortable today. <laughs> is that very close? What do you guys do? It is. Other than the break, the little, the little, what do you guys do? We, we roll right into the circle. Right into the Yeah. yeah. But that was the only thing that, that was. I think I'm going to see a few guys. Yeah, we do adults at this school. Oh, yeah. Nine o'clock. And then that goes to about nine. Well, it's supposed to be a little after five. Well, it's supposed to be
most
like after a while, like yeah. playing video games and doing friends, like, what am I doing with my life? Yeah. And then it's like, I feel like I'm not training. I'm not doing anything. That's the way I do it. Right. You're so dumb. I'm not doing anything.
Yeah, healthy competition.